Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 190, Before His Second Flight. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. If you are new to the show, we bring in NASA experts to talk about all different parts of our space agency, and sometimes we get lucky enough to bring in astronauts to tell their story. So today, we're talking with Mark Vandehei. He's a U.S. astronaut who's about to launch to the International Space Station uh, for his second long-duration space flight. He happened to be one of the very first guests we had on the podcast back in episode 13 before his first flight, which happened to be the title of that episode. So in this discussion, we talked about his background and anticipation of heading to space, basically continuing the conversation from 2017. We discussed how his first flight ended up going and what he did aboard. We discussed his return and what he's been up to here at NASA since landing in the Kazakh steppe. And of course, what he's looking forward to this time around and how the landscape of the International Space Station has changed in the few short years he spent back on the planet. So here's a little bit more about astronaut Mark Vandehei. Enjoy. Mark Van Hai, thanks for coming back on Houston. We have a podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, I'm just going to pick up from where we last left off. You were one of our first astronaut guests, actually, on this podcast. You were episode 13. We called that before his first flight. And really, we had that conversation up through the moment right before you were heading over to, I think it was either Moscow or Baikonur at the time, but really just before your first launch. I want to pick up the conversation from right there. So from when you last left the studio um, and you were getting ready for your first launch, what were some of the th things you were doing, some of the thoughts going through your head? Oh, gosh, that's a long... A lot's happened since then, of course. <laughs> so uh, before a launch, there's a lot of ceremonial stuff along with the uh, final exams, of course. Uh, I guess I'll just go to the really interesting part and try to keep this answer short. <laughs> the launch... Yeah. So uh, the launch for me happened uh, oh dark thirty. I can't remember the exact time. I just do remember it was a it was a not a normal time for me to be awake. Uh, very uh, emotional when you're driving away to say goodbye to everybody, hmm. and there's a huge crowd of people cheering you on, and you, you feel like a rock star. And then it was a it was shocking though how excited you could feel, and then it gets really quiet on the bus and it's dark out and you're driving out into the desert in Kazakhstan to a rocket that's all by itself. And then um, we got out to the rocket and we got on and I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this thing's leaving in, I can't, it was less than two hours and I thought to myself, I have a lot to do. <laughs> so uh, we got onto the spacecraft and they close us in, uh, get us securely buckled down and then everybody else leaves and you're just sitting out there. So I, I guess what I'm trying to convey is a sense of tremendous community and celebratory and then shockingly quiet and isolated. Wow. And so that was a, a, an emotional flip that I didn't expect. Uh, once you get into the process of just going through all the checklists to prepare for the launch, that starts seeming you've practiced this multiple times. You're very focused. And even the launch, the launch... Um, was so smooth that the biggest shock to me was that nothing went wrong because all of our training has things going wrong every moment. Mm -hmm. And so I was constantly scanning, looking, trying, to, trying to find the, the problem. 
that was in the system somewhere because that's what I was trained to do. And there was always something hidden if I just looked carefully enough. But nope, everything worked perfectly. So I kind of wanted a better story. It wasn't shaky enough. It wasn't violent enough. It was, it was really smooth. And then when you get to orbit, uh, and the thrusters are turned off, you really are in a free fall. That's what being in orbit is. You're just falling towards the Earth but constantly missing it. And it shocked me how it felt just like being at the top of a roller coaster when you're coming up over the top of a roller coaster and you rise up in the straps. Of course, I was strapped down very tightly. So when you're in a roller coaster, hopefully you're strapped down very tightly too. And if the roller co coaster comes over the top and goes from going up to down rapidly, you'll rise up in the seat. Well, that's what I experienced. The reason you feel that in a roller coaster is because you're in a momentary free fall, very short time. For me, it was, it was exactly like that, but it continued for hours. So... That was just a strange sensation that it was kept going and also kind of had this feeling like I was rotating forward, but very slowly I was rotating forward too. Uh, the sunlight was uh, interesting. It, it's gorgeous, very bright, but there's something a little unsettling about it. And I actually went to a uh, preview in, in Washington, D.C. for First Man. And I watched the movie and I, I, I was really impressed with how they conveyed that feeling in that movie of being in a capsule. And I said, something about the lighting that you guys did was great. And, and the director told me, oh, yeah, we had a NASA consultant. They said, make sure you use spotlighting. He said, spotlighting? What are you talking about? I said, yeah, spotlighting, because the sun is a spotlight when you're out in space. And it occurred to me that every time I've experienced any sunlight before I was in orbit, it was always scattered by the atmosphere of the Earth. So you never really get sunlight that's just direct from one spot. It's always coming from multiple directions because it hits other parts of the atmosphere and gets reflect, uh, bent in your direction too. So that's why there was, it was beautiful, but weird, if that makes sense. And I couldn't put my finger on what is unsettling about this. So it was very stark brightness and, and stark darkness in the shadows as we quickly would move from, as the spacecraft would go to different angles with the sun. And they had this little, little window next to me. Getting to the space station, um, I'll never forget looking out over my left shoulder and seeing the solar rays, much bigger than I ever expected them to be. I lost my composure a little bit because I was so excited and said, wow, during a, a moment in the space flight when we were all supposed to be very quiet and concentrating intensely on the data that we were seeing or the telemetry. Uh, life on the space station was really busy. Got to do lots of spacewalks. Uh, a vehicle, did one vehicle capture. Um, coming back to Earth, I guess I really what I want to do is tell you a few things instead of going on for 25 minutes. <laughs> and then if there's something that's interesting to you, then you can ask me more. So I'm gonna very quickly go through this. Okay. Um, the landing process. Um, I didn't realize how afraid I was um, while I was waiting for the parachute to open and had nothing to do but wait for the parachute to open until the parachute actually opened and I felt so giddy because I was super, super happy. That was the first time I had let myself realize that this was actually going to succeed. I was also very shocked with the impact with the ground. In fact, my immediate emotion was I felt angry. I felt like someone had just hit me in the back of the head with a two by four because <laughs> it, 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 uh, it was a hard hit. We were fine. Everybody was safe. It was very safe, but it was shocking. Yeah. They say it's like uh, something like a 30 mile an hour car crash is like the, is like the kind of a feeling. I've never been in a 30 mile an hour car crash, <laughs> but uh, it certainly caught my attention. In fact, yeah. I made a mistake. Uh, one of the things the Russians tell you to prepare for that landing is make sure your head is back in the seat and your mouth is closed. You don't want to bite your tongue yep. if you hit hard. 
And I thought to myself, well, my muscles will probably be weak enough. I won't have had to balance my head. So keeping my head in the seat shouldn't be a problem. So just remember to keep your mouth cl closed. I did remember that I should have my head in the seat. But the I thought we had about 10 seconds before we hit. And I looked up to check something out. And then we hit. <sighs> so uh, I, I hit my head really hard. Yep. Yeah. So I actually... Uh, was wondering if I made a big enough mistake that I was going to have a concussion, but I was fine. It was okay. no, no big deal. The uh, wh While you were in space, though, you had, um, I mean, it was 100, let me see. I have the number here somewhere. Talking about number of science experiments? Uh, I was going to say number of days, 168 oh, days. Oh, yes, yes. But I'm sure you did a couple hundred science experiments as well. Uh, I don't know how many I personally did. I know as a team, some of which happened to be without our interaction even. There was 234 science experiments that happened while we were on board. Yeah. I, I like the way you described it too because I think you've, you've done multiple interviews since you've been back. And, uh, you know, one of the top things is, you know, what, what are some of the science investigations uh, that you did? And you always describe yourself as, you know, I was I was more of like a the, the lab hands, you know. I was just like the hands, just kind of doing the work. That's is that's how you felt, right? Yeah, I was. I, I call it being a laboratory technician. Te technician. My yeah. job was to make sure that all the science experiments had the resources they needed. Uh, very rarely was I an observer. Yeah. Um, a lot of times uh, I was just making sure the videos were set up so that they could do the observation. Certainly wasn't doing any data analysis or writing papers like a scientist would do. Yeah. And there was, but there was a lot of work, right? Because you were just, you were the one lab technician for all these different scientists that had all these different priorities that they wanted to do. Uh, I would, because there's so many experiments, yeah. experiments going on simultaneously. Yeah, there's, there's a, there is no lack of work. In fact, uh, there's more work than we can get done. So. <laughs> yeah, always a task list, right? That is yes. just hard to, hard to get to. Um, you did a couple of spacewalks as well, and I know those were, uh, those were a highlight for, for you during your first expedition. Yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah. Good experiences. Everyone, I was happy to start, and everyone, I was happy to finish. <laughs> <laughs> what were uh, what were some of those lessons that you were learning? Because you're about to go back uh, to the International Space Station. I don't know if spacewalks are, are are on the table, but they certainly could be. So some of those things you know you're going to take forward with you on those spacewalks, given your recent experience. So if I do another spacewalk, things that uh, I w I will continue to do differently than my first spacewalk is. Uh, move gently <laughs> so if you can imagine um, training underwater you overcome water drag so every time you want to start moving you import a impart a force and the water is going to stop you so you have to keep adding force to continue moving if you keep adding force to continue moving in space you're just going to keep accelerating that's undesirable so my first spacewalk i put in a lot of force to start moving I had to take out all that force in the opposite direction to stop moving. So I worked really, really hard. So when I get back there, I'm sure I'll very gently start motion, make sure I maintain contact, but you can just keep fingertip contact as you wait to get to the right spot, assuming your aim was good enough. Yeah. Um, another thing that became very help helpful on spacewalks after my first was uh, instead of being really, really afraid of letting go with both hands from the space station, um, now, just in case someone's concerned, when we let go with both hands from the space station, it's only after we put down a tether that keeps the space station within arm's reach. So I'm not talking about just letting go and, and hoping that I just stay in the vicinity. There's lots of safety features to make sure we, we stay safe. But there's a big difference between uh, being in the middle of rotating yourself and then letting go while you're rotating because <laughs> you'll start to just do a spiral. Yeah. That's very uncomfortable versus 
stopping yourself for three seconds, making sure there's no relative motion between you and the space station, and then slowly letting go with your fingers. Because once you're done letting go, you'll stay exactly there. With a, there's a little bit of force from the safety tether, but that didn't seem like a big impact to me. And that makes it much more casual. It sounds like there's a lot, so you trained a lot in the neutral buoyancy laboratory. There's a lot that you can learn underwater, but it seems like all these lessons are just that little gap between doing it underwater and doing it for real. Absolutely. The, the motions that you make, I mean, that that's that's really the difference there. Yes, every, the, the NBL does an incredibly good job of training us. There's just a few little nuances that uh, <laughs> they can't quite replicate and um, yeah, can learn a lot. Well, let's go back to you. You had that you had that hard landing uh, over in Kazakhstan. What have you been up to since uh, since you've been since you returned to Houston? So everybody who comes back from a space flight does a process of uh, debriefings, uh, rehabilitation, mm -hmm. uh, and also public public events. You travel around for a bit to um, share your experience. For me, that ended with me going to Washington, D.C. to work as a technical assistant for Bill Gerstenmeier. So I did that for a while. That was super interesting. I got to uh, see how things work in Washington, D.C. at NASA, and I very much appreciate the hard work that those folks do. And then I came back to Houston again and worked as the EVM robotics assistant to the chief astronaut hmm. until I got this assignment. Wow. Okay, so you I mean, it sounds like a lot of that time has been... So some of those lessons that you learned from from your spacewalk, what, is, what do you do as the, I guess, uh, leading EVAs in robotics? What are some of your tasks? So uh, one task is giving recommendations to the chief astronaut for who will do spacewalks. Oh, okay. Um, and of course that comes along with staffing it with the trainers and staffing it with the flight directors to see if anybody's got concerns, but then giving, giving the uh, chief astronaut a recommendation that will actually work. Same thing with robotic operations on the space station. A big part of the job was also um, providing some continuity uh, in what the ground team should expect from astronauts. For example, we had a lot, we had 13 spacewalks in a year recently. And mm. there was a lot of desire to do spacewalks really, really quickly. And my, my job in some cases what, was to share what situation that would create for the people actually executing the spacewalk and to talk to them if, if we ended up doing things pretty rapidly or it, maybe we decided we're going to go ahead and have to do it this quickly make sure everyone understood that this is something we haven't done before with space station crew members who are different from space shuttle crew members hmm. because space shuttle crew members used to get trained multiple times on a very specific eva whereas space station crew members don't get trained as much uh, on a specific task but they'll get trained for years on generic tasks and have to adapt to whatever we tell them they need to do. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're also spending more time in uh, in space, so that has effects as well. And then uh, training-wise, so we had an ask, uh, astronaut candidate class that was finishing up as I was uh, was still working in that job. And what does it mean to say that somebody's certified to do EVAs or certified to operate the robotic arm? things like that, and making sure we had a consistent grading and we're fair, both maintaining a really high standard, but also making sure it's, it's the same standard for everybody. That's very true. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't really think about the uh, the tasks of a spacewalk. I guess you're right. I mean, when, when you're doing a shuttle, you train exactly for what you're going to do. There is a lot of challenges, not only, and, and you described it so well, not only with training providing a generic training so that you can adapt to whatever task needs to be accomplished. 
But uh, if you're talking about so many EVAs, so many spacewalks in a short period of time, when you yourself are in space for a long period of time, it could feel a little bit draining. I don't know if you experienced that yourself in space, um, just having to do so many tasks. We talked about spacewalks. We talked about um, different science experiments. If you felt a sense of, man, there's, there's a lot to do in just these short six months. I definitely felt like there's a lot to do. Um, I felt very fortunate because I think between my first and second spacewalk, there was it was a, a five-day center to center. So hatch opening on the first spacewalk to hatch opening on the second spacewalk was five days. Mm-hmm. I thought that was perfect because it that also over uh, happened over the course. During that time, I had a weekend off, which gave me a whole weekend to study for the next spacewalk and to think about it. So that was ideal for me. I And I, I think had I had spacewalks four months apart, it would have been harder to carry the lessons learned from the first spacewalk into the second spacewalk. Hmm. So they were so quick for me that that was really helpful, but far enough apart, I was well, I didn't have any lingering effects. I didn't have, sometimes people lose fingernails after a spacewalk. You can have a lot of hand soreness. I had enough, I didn't have anything serious enough that I wasn't completely recovered before the second spacewalk. But, so we got to pay attention to that, having physical recovery and enough mental, mental time to, uh, mentally prepared for the next thing too. Hmm. But for me, it was I, I was very fortunate. Months later, I did another spacewalk. Um, I, th- I can't remember how quickly they were in succession, the third and fourth one. Um, but I was definitely a fan of being able to, once I start spacewalks, focus on that and do nothing else, ideally, as opposed to flipping between science and spacewalk stuff. Yep. A lot has happened since you've returned. You talked about, you know, your your main task. You you did uh, a little bit of time at, at headquarters, and then you came back and you were working EVAs and robotics. Um, but a lot has happened, especially in the astronaut world. We have commercial crew astronauts. Mm-hmm. We've assigned astronauts to walk on the moon. There's there's just a lot happening in your office. Uh, talk about that landscape from when you landed to, to right now. Just like how the astronaut office itself has has really changed interesting you mentioned those things yeah. as changes to the astronaut office because i i think the thing that feels the, like the biggest effect is covid right now because we're not seeing each other i i'm fortunate because i've been going to training and i i get to see people that are making sure they're well protected and that i'm well protected but i get to interact with people but if you're not assigned to a flight you're you're doing your job from home just like everybody else and it's challenging just like it for everybody else um it's a very dynamic time in mm-hmm. the astronaut office, which if I was a new astronaut, I would think it's the perfect time to be here because <laughs> the opportunities are just going to blossom. Yeah, uh, we're, There's going to be challenges, but that's also always opportunities for growth and uh, gives you great ways to contribute. So I, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to right now. I know, I know you're not really together then because of COVID, right? You're not seeing each other as often. But I wonder if, if you've experienced, you talk about the newer astronauts. I'm thinking of the astronauts that came in 2017 mm-hmm. or as candidates, and now they're, now they're astronauts. And some of them have already been assigned uh, to a few flights. I wonder if you're seeing that from, from that class of astronauts, a sense of excitement on, on what, what we have ahead of us. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, <laughs> many of them are assigned to that Artemis uh, team yeah. to be ready to, to walk on the moon someday. That's certainly exciting. Um, some are assigned to uh, be be ready for Soyuz potentially or back or there's there, some are primary crew members for for Dragon spacecraft if I understand correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there's a lot there's a lot going on. There very much so. Now now going back to you, um, you you have this this flight coming up. You're going to be flying Soyuz again. What are some of the next things that you're looking forward to? Is it is it much of the same? Is it changed a little bit? 
it's gonna it's going to be very different for me okay. knock on wood <laughs> being on that Soyuz crew because this time I'll be in the right seat oh, as opposed to the left seat the left seat was being a co-pilot so I I was fully engaged last time in flying the spacecraft and sometimes a lot most of the time I was pressing the buttons on behalf of the commander something I definitely didn't want to mess up uh, this time my responsibilities in the Soyuz are going to be very minimal. I, at, I think every two hours, if I remember correctly, I have to pump the condensate out, 120 <laughs> pumps in two minutes. All right. That's my job. And I, and I jokingly will be like, is it time? Is it time? <laughs> Can I pump the condensate yet? Um, so I'll be a lot more relaxed. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, when I get to the space station, I'm hoping that will continue. Uh, my, my goal is to do what people tell me. And I expect a lot of changes. I expect, again... It, Things change, but uh, I, my hope, my contribution is going to be just rolling with those changes and keeping a real steady sense of joy about this opportunity and doing my job. Uh, I'm probably uh, spending, I have fewer personal goals this time when oh. I go to the space. Like last time I had all kinds of things I needed to take pictures of. This time, and that actually became a stressor because I had limited time and every, every weekend I had a to-do list I was trying to get through. This time, I just want to be a little more peaceful about the whole thing and try to enjoy it. Maybe I didn't journal last time. I would love to start journaling more and try to capture. Rec For me, my assumption is that this is going to be my last opportunity to do something like this. Hmm. So I want to do as good a job as I can to record it for myself, if no one else. That's some incredible personal goals. It seems like you've put a lot of thought into into the things that you want to do. Um, are, are you sharing this with? Uh, I'm sure there's like I, I'm going back to the uh, to the newer class of astronauts, right? Uh, you, you're thinking about this as your last flight, and I'm sure that a lot of the uh, a lot of the newer astronauts are looking forward to doing exactly what you did on your first flight. Like I have so much I want to do. I have this huge task list. I wonder if there's um, there's a benefit to that. Say you know, absolutely, you should do that on your first flight. Or maybe maybe this next flight that you're talking about, take it easy, journal, um, you know, decrease stress maybe overall in your workload. Maybe that's a that's a benefit that you can pass on to some of the newer astronauts. Actually, it might be good to take your time. It depends on the person. There's, okay. Uh, there's uh, Notashige Kanai was on the space station with me. Yeah. Um, he would work on the weekends and work on the task list on the weekends. And I, I just didn't do that. That was my free time. And I had my own personal task list. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I pulled him aside one day and said, hey, his, his call sign is Nemo. That's how my classmates all call him Nemo. I said, Nemo, you know you don't have to do this on the weekend, right? And he said, yeah, but it's actually more pleasant for me to work when I can do it at my own pace. So he, had, he gained a sense of peace from getting things done, but without any stress of needing to get it done. So that's why I say everybody's different. Um, Nemo was different from me as far as what our needs were. Um, and I would say even my needs on that first flight might be different from my needs on the second flight. So we're constantly changing human beings. Wow. Yeah, you just find that thing that, that gives you that sense of peace because I guess it's, that's an important thing to carry with you. You know you're going to be on station for a long time, so you have to find that thing, whatever it may be, because it, it sounds like it's unique per crew member, but the thing that's going to keep you, uh, you know, keep you going for, for, those, for that long period of time. Yep. Very cool. Well, Mark Vanahai, I think that's uh, all the questions I have. I want to wish you the best of luck on your journey and, uh, and Godspeed. Thanks for talking to me today. Thanks very much for having me come today. I appreciate it. Good talking to you again. Thanks.
Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really enjoyed this conversation that I had with uh, Mark Vandehei today. I hope you did too. You get to watch his launch live on nasa.gov slash NTV. So make sure to go check out that schedule uh, to see when you can tune in to the launch of Mark Vandehei and his crewmates to the International Space Station. I'm sure he'll be sharing his journey in space. Uh, if you want to follow his story, he's on Twitter at Astro underscore Sabo, S-A-B-O-T. Uh, you can check out us and many other NASA podcasts at nasa.gov slash podcasts. And you can talk to us, Houston, we have a podcast, on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to talk to us, use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform, and you can submit an idea to the show or ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded on January 14th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, and John Streeter. Thanks again to Mark Vandehei for coming on the show. Godspeed. We'll be back next week. <laughs>